Well, good morning. At this time, Children's Church is dismissed. Miss Londa is in the back waiting for you. She can't have the party without you guys. The rest of you have to stay. You're trapped. Today we're in Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be looking at... (laughs) We're going to be looking at uh, verses 7 through verse 19. And we're going to look a little bit in, let's see, Numbers and a little bit in Psalms. So are you ready this morning? This morning I want to ask you to be ready to interact with Scripture maybe in a little bit different way. Just a little different way because I want you to know that The scripture is alive and it interacts with our lives. It speaks to us today. It spoke to the people who originally read it, like the actual penned documents that were sent to them. A lot of these are letters in the New Testament anyway. In the Old Testament, well, they were all kind of scrolls, but for sure they were scrolls. And they would unscroll them and read them. But as we're in the book of Hebrews... There's other passages that connect. And if we don't know about those other passages, then the book that we're looking at doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But it's really cool how they connect and that they actually impact us today. As we read them today and as we think through them today, they make a difference in our lives. So this morning's message is titled, You Can Choose Faith. You Can Choose Faith. So I told the early crowd, so I've got to tell this crowd. So I'm going to say something that you're going to bristle at it. But in the beginning, when God created man, God was pro-choice. I told you you'd bristle, right? But the good news is, the good news is that really God was pro-life when he created man, right? He was creating man and breathing into them the breath of lives but giving us choice. That's where the choice comes in. He was making us free agents. We were like him. We had a mind, we could think, we had emotions, we had will, we could do what we want to do, which means we can choose God or we can choose another way, another way. That's the pro-choice part, right? Not at all defined like it's defined today. God is very much, obviously, pro-life because he created us and then he gives us free agency. He makes us free agents. And we can do what it is we want to do. So, you know, this morning you can do what you want to do. You could look at your neighbor and say, you can do whatever you want to do. And the truth is, we can. And all those doings come with consequences. So, our choices reveal our heart. Our choices reveal our heart. They just kind of, they just pull the curtain out and our choices show what's on the inside. Years ago when I was in my second year in my first church, who in the world would ever make me pastor of a church when I was 25? Actually when I was 24. But this was when I was 25. I was in the second year and I, and I faced this, this issue in my church and I needed help. I needed some advice on it. So I called a guy who I knew I could trust, somebody that I had a relationship with, somebody that was wise, 
lot wiser than me, older than me, experienced, all the things that I wasn't, he was, including smart. So I called him, Dr. Carter. I remember getting on the phone with Dr. Carter. I remember where I was in our home, and I remember being on the phone. I was a little nervous talking to him. He was one of my, he was one of my uh, Bible college uh, professors. And I laid out the situation. Today, I don't remember what the issue was, but I remember how I went about solving the issue, but I honestly don't remember what it was. But I called him up, and I got some input from him, and I remember thinking, um, he said, well, this is what I would do if I were you, um, but you, it's your choice, it's your decision. So I had a choice to make. I could choose to believe him and what he said and believe in his wisdom because it didn't really sound like something I wanted to do. I didn't really think it was the right thing. But I remember saying to him, I remember saying, Dr. Carter, this doesn't sound right to me, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna believe what you're telling me because I believe you're smarter than I am. So I'm just gonna do that. And really what I was saying was by faith, right? By faith. But, but faith, not blind, oh, I'm just gonna take a big jump. No, no, no. By faith meaning I'm gonna believe you and I'm gonna believe you so much that it's going to inform my action. So I did what he told me, what he told me to do and it turned out really well. And I remember later on thinking, I'm so glad that I did what he told me to do because I didn't think it was the right thing, but it turned out so well. And if someday I ever remember what that thing was, I'll give you an update on the illustration, but I don't remember what it was. So this morning, I want to talk to you about choices revealing the heart, and I want to talk to you about 40, how 40 got him 40. 40 got him 40. You remember when Moses was out in the desert and he had the burning bush and God said, I hear the cries of my people back in Egypt and I want you to go back there and I want you to bring them out and I want you to free them. And Moses, remember how he said, nah, no, I can't do it. No, I got a slow tongue. No, I'm not very smart. No, I can't do it, blah, blah, blah. Well, he went and did it, right? He goes and God works through him and they had the, the, they had the plagues. You remember the movie, right? If you don't remember the passage, you remember the movie. Everyone's seen the movie. He puts a stick in the Nile, you know, and it turns to blood. Remember the original movie, you guys, you older people? The original one where the blood just kind of, you know, really bad effects, but it was really fascinating because you never got to see what you actually read in scripture until they made it into a movie and you got to watch Moses do all these things. But this really happened. Those people really saw this stuff and they were delivered out of that land through great signs and wonders, the, the frogs and the boils and the, the locusts and uh, the, the darkness and, and the, uh, the, the blood over the doorpost and the death angel and all that stuff. And then they get out and they cross the Red Sea and the upside down horses and chariots, you remember in the movie, you remember the movie, right? And how the, the Egyptian army was destroyed and they got over on the dry land ahead of them and they were on to the promised land and then to Mount, to Mount Sinai first to get the law we won't talk about the two golden calves and then uh, they made the tabernacle and they traveled through the wilderness and then they got to the Jordan and they were going to cross over there was this promised land that God had promised them they could finally rest after 400 and some odd years in slavery and in servitude they could rest so they sent 12 guys in to scope it out, to check it out, to spy out the land. 
And from those 12, they came back and they gave the report. And 10 of them, a majority report, uh, there was a dissenting opinion, but the majority opinion said, ain't no way, we can't go in. We look like grasshoppers to these people. We look like grasshoppers. We can't go in there. They'll destroy us. It's, it's a great land, but we can't go in. They'll destroy us. And then you had the two that we're going to pick up on our slides in numbers. So after the ten said no, that night, all the members of the community, they raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, let's choose a leader and let's head back. Let's head back. You know, sometimes the anticipation of something, you know this, is so much better than the actual thing. And they had been anticipating freedom for a long time. And then they were let out of the cell and they got out into the street and into the sun and their food wasn't delivered to them on the hour. And then and all of a sudden, there were no confines and they had no defined parameters to their existence. And, and they were like, we don't like it out here. It's scary out here. We have to eat this manna stuff. We don't like the manna. We want to go back where there's, where there's garlic and leeks and there's flavors, there's food. We want to go back in the cell. You know, that's the thing. People that are incarcerated for a long time, there's that whole thing about when you get out, it's hard because your life has been so structured. And for the Israelites, they were in servitude in Egypt, but they ate well because they wanted them to work hard. So they fed them. And now they're out on their own and they're grumbling. And now God has, after all these things he's done, the frogs, the movie, everything, and now they're saying, no, 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 we should have died in Egypt. We should choose a leader and go back. We're going to retreat back to our safe, quiet place where nobody's going to bother us, where they'll stick food in between the bars for us. We want to go back, back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron were so distraught at that that they fell face down in front of everybody. Gathered there, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land. These two were among those. They were part of the 12. They tore their clothes, and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is really, really good, you guys. Like, you should see it. If the Lord is pleased with us, he's gonna lead us into that land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and God will give it to us. The Lord will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land, the people of the land, because we'll devour them. Their protection, their protection is gone. 
We're not just going to beat them. We will devour them. They have no protection. But the Lord, he's with us. The Lord that you saw with the frogs and the movie and everything, he's with us. Don't be afraid of them. That would have been a, probably the best motivational speech so far of the scriptures. How do you think, uh, how did the people respond to Joshua and Caleb? Some of you remember, some of you don't remember. Verse 10, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Let's kill them. Let's not just kill them, let's stone them until they stop moving. Wow, these are people of faith. These are people who not only saw the movie, they lived the movie. They ate that Paschal lamb at the last, the, 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 uh, the Passover. They ate the lamb. They saw the firstborn dead. They carried their firstborn out. And they wanted a stone, Joshua and Caleb. Oh, such great faith. Some of us think if we could only see God, I just want to, if I just could, if I could just glimpse him, then I'd believe. If I could just, just see God, then I'd believe. The problem with God, it's a bad sentence whenever it starts like that. The problem with God is that I can't see him. Oh, really? They saw him. Go back to Exodus, is it 19? When the mountain was quaking and shaking and the lightning and the thunder, and they said to Moses, you go talk to him. We're not going, because if we talk to him, we'll die. They had seen the glory of God. They had seen the work of God. They don't believe. They don't believe. This is the story that is the backdrop to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. This is the context of what the writer to Hebrews is about to say. Remember last week we said, don't retreat to the comfort and familiarity of, each, of Moses? We said that last week. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than your clinging to security. He's greater than your clinging to finances. He's greater than your clinging to real estate. He's greater than your clinging to relationships. He's greater than your clinging to fame, to popularity, to power. He's greater than all of that. He's greater than clinging to your good works and your good religious duties. Jesus is greater. The very last verse that we looked at last week said that Christ is faithful Moses was a servant in God's house, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. He's also the builder of that house. And we are his house. We're the people of God. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. When our choices reveal our heart, that's when we know what kind of a heart we have. We may say that we have faith, but our choices will reveal it. Because faith starts in the, we say this, we really mean this when we mean that, but we point to this when we really mean that. But really these are the same, but really this isn't here, this is really up here. So it's really all up here, but we point to here. You got it, right? Our choices reveal what's here and that's really up here. So the next verse, verse seven, he says, since, um, 
Since we're God's people, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory, that's Jesus, then, verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. Notice what it says here. He put them into that wilderness for 40 years. In fact, when, as you go into Numbers 14 and you go on in that passage, as it says, they rebelled. They said no to God. They rebelled. And God said, okay, fine. But here's what's going to happen. For every one of the days that the spies were in the land, you're going to spend a year in the wilderness. You are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until every one of you over the age of 20 dies. And your kids will get the land that I promised to you as my people. It's fine. No problem. Your kids are going to get the land. And you're getting 40 for 40 But then it says, though for 40 years they saw what I did. So then that 40 years, they still saw what God did. And I wonder, did they continue to be religious or was there ever any faith? Like they didn't get to the promised land, small p, small l for promised land. But did they get to the promised land when they died in the wilderness? I don't know. The ones that had faith... But apparently from here, it says they tested and they tried God in the wilderness. He called it the rebellion, that period of time, because for 40 years they saw what I did, but they didn't follow me. They saw, but they were free agents. They chose. They chose something else. This passage says, as the Holy Spirit says... This comes from Psalm 95. So Psalm 95, which was written, let's just say, 1000 B.C., was written about something that happened in, let's just say, 1400, 1500 B.C. And then it's repeated again in Hebrews, which is written, like, say, in 100 A.D., 100-ish, whatever, first century, and read today by us in, like, 20 centuries later. So let's read verse 10, the rest of this this section, this quote. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts, their hearts are revealed by their choices. Their hearts are always going astray. And they haven't known my ways. They haven't known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, anger, they shall never enter my rest. They're not going to rest. They're not going to get into the promised land. So I thought it was interesting, if you go back to Psalm 95, and I'll read it for you if you don't have it, but in Psalm 95, this is, the, this is a passage I would expect Josh to read when he gets up to lead worship. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. I don't know how many times as a young pastor from the King James Version, I read the first like five verses of Psalm 95 to open a worship service. I never got to the end of the Psalm. It's not a, you don't want to read that. 
That's no good. But let me, let me read verse 6 for you. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Great and wonderful 21st century worship songs are written from this text. But then it goes on. You never hear this, these words in a song. Well, maybe. Maybe there's a song out there. I haven't sung it. Today, if only you would hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, Massah, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, there are people whose hearts go astray. They've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. Does it mean that God knows how to hold a grudge? No, that's not what it means. It means for 40 years, for 40 years, the heart of the people of God was revealed by their choices and their choices were bad. Their faith in God was not as their choices revealed. I mean, isn't it great when when do we know that our kids believe us when we tell them to do something? When do we know that they believe us? When they do it. Somebody said when they do it. Yes, yes, when they do it. How many times have you told your kids something only to be followed up? Will you do it? Yes, Dad. Do you promise to do it? Yes, Dad. And then the next thing I would say is, when do you promise to do it? Like, I want to know when. Well, they don't, until you know when, I'm not sure you're actually going to do it. Because talk is cheap, right? Words are cheap. So you can pray and say, I believe, but this is not all there is to it. So this whole thing about becoming a child of God in Christian circles is called getting saved, right? Being born again. Some people think that it's just, you just have to pray this prayer and you say, I believe, and that's the end of it. That's not the end of it. That's why in James, Jesus' brother, who is the author of James, he actually wrote, faith without works or believing without doing is dead because it's all alone. The believing is never alone. Saving faith, believing faith, is a faith that actually produces a change in us. It actually changes what we do. The people of God stomped around that wilderness for 40 years and they weren't believing God. And God showed up over and over and over. He took care of them. Their, their, their stuff didn't wear out. Their, their cattle were, were fertile. Their crops were great. All this stuff happened. And the people, by their actions, showed that their faith was misplaced. Their faith was in something other than in God. It can be the same today. And the writer of Hebrews is bringing the people. So the law wasn't bad. The law of Moses that they kept trying to retreat to, it wasn't bad. But it was over. It was over. It was good while it was around but it was over because it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It was completed 
It was codified. It, it, was, it was fulfilled in Jesus. And now our faith is in Jesus. Our sins are forgiven through Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is taking them back to Numbers 14 and quoting Psalm 95 for them. And he's saying, you guys could be like this. You could be like those people who rebelled. Don't do that. Don't be like them. Be the kid whose dad says, will you do this? And they actually do it. And the parent, the mom or the dad is just, it warms their heart. That they didn't even have to remind them. And it got done. Mitch, can I use an illustration of you for a second? You don't mind, do you? You're used to being a pastor's kid. So I left one day. We were gone. We were out of the house. He had to work at four, and we left like seven hours earlier. And I said, man, today would be a good day to mow the lawn. It's not raining. You got all day. <sighs> Amen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Dad. I don't think I said any more of that. I might have. So I call at three o'clock about something else. I called him. Here's how he answers the phone. Hi, Dad. The lawn's all mowed. Right? right? Hi, Dad. My faith is real. Hi, Dad. My faith is real. I really believed what you said. I believed it so much that I actually did it. Thank you, Mitch. And a good parent thanks their kid. This isn't the first time I thanked him. You thank your kid, right, for doing the lawn. But he believed and he obeyed. And I was like, Oh, that felt good. I didn't have to harangue. Not that I ever would have. Not that I've ever harangued. Okay, let's see. <laughs> Verse 12. Our, our choices reveal our heart. So, this is what the writer says to the readers. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You... You like this, you like this, this Jesus is so much better. Don't turn away from him because your heart, when it's given to sin, sin is very deceitful. It will deceive you. What does it mean to be deceived? We know who the deceiver is. That's Satan. To be deceived is you tricked me. You tricked me. I thought I was getting this and I got this. You tricked me into signing that contract. Now I'm stuck. You deceiver. And he says that, that sin is deceitful. And back in the Old Testament, it says that our hearts are also deceitful and desperately wicked, right? So our hearts are wicked. They're deceitful. They deceive us. Sin is deceitful. And he says, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart because that will turn you away, away from not just some God, the living God. Not some post that you put up and worship, but the living God. Sin will deceive you and turn you away. What's the remedy? There's no remedy. Oh, wait, there is. Read the Bible. No, that's not the remedy. Pray. That's not the remedy. Have faith. That's not the remedy. Believe more. That's not the remedy. Look what it says in the passage. The remedy is in the passage. But, verse 13, encourage one another daily. That's it? Yeah, that's the remedy. Encourage one another daily. But we only meet once a week. 
Now what do we do? It might mean that some of us will have to see some others of us like during the week. Or we run the risk of falling prey to a sinful, unbelieving heart that's been deceived. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. Today that was talked about in Numbers 14 and repeated again in Psalm 95. As long as it's still today and today we're still now, we can still turn and follow God. As long as you still have a chance, encourage one another so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The deceitfulness of sin will harden our hearts. Crusty, not malleable, unbeating, stone cold. That's what sin will do to us. So the remedy is that we would encourage each other. If our heads, if, we, if for all the people in the room who aren't encouraged enough this morning, if their heads glowed orange, we'd have a lot of orange glowing heads in the room. We would. Do you think that, what, when do you ever come to church and think to yourself, I have to encourage others this morning? You, you don't think it because you're not encouraged. Because you're struggling. You want somebody to come up to you on Wednesday morning. Ryan Volk uh, trained us in, uh, in uh, um, life-saving CPR. We need people to come up to us and give us spiritual CPR. But what happens when you got a whole group of people who all need spiritual CPR and none of them can give it to one another? That's bad. <laughs> That's bad. So it's, it's all of our jobs starting today, starting this minute. It's all of our ministries to encourage one another. You know the person sitting two pews ahead of you or two pews to the left, there's no pews. What am I saying? What am I saying? Two rows behind you, they need your encouragement. They need your encouragement. They need it. They won't tell you. They'll never admit it, but they do. I need your encouragement. You need one, one another's encouragement. It's here in the scriptures. It's the kind of a church we want to be. We want to encourage one another. As long as it's today, as long as we have a pulse, it's today. As long as there's respiration, put the little mirror in front of you, it's today and we can encourage one another. Verse 14 says, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, and he says it again. In the same passage, he repeats this. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. This is the fourth time at least he said it. He said it back in Numbers 14, he taught it, and then he repeated it in Psalm 95. And then he just said it in this passage, the writer of the Hebrews, and then he repeats it in a short little segment of Scripture. He says this two times. Today, if you hear the voice of God, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, don't harden your heart toward him 
like the people of God did way back then. Don't do it. Why does he say that? Because we can. And because we might. And in a crowd of this size, because some of us are. You know, the the longer you walk with God, the more you realize you got junk. As I said to somebody this morning after the first service, the brighter the light, the more dirt you can see. The closer you get to God, you don't think, oh, I'm doing, the closer I get to God, I'm doing good, I'm doing fine, I'm doing just fine. No, the closer you get to God, you're like, God, help me. Like in the Gospels where the, where the, the guy comes and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So don't harden your heart. How do you know if your heart is hardened? Your choices reveal your heart. Where are your choices? If your choices are in a spot where you don't want them to be, pray that God would give you a soft heart. A soft heart. Verse 16, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? Moses led them out of Egypt and they rebelled. They saw the signs and wonders. And with whom was he angry for 40 years after that? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies just perished in the wilderness? Yeah, it was them. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if, if not to those who disobeyed? Yeah, to those who disobeyed. So we see that, and now he's teed it up. He's teed it up. This whole passage is teed it up to hit this ball 465 yards down the fairway. And here it is. So we see that, that what? That they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Their unbelief. There it is. It is about faith. It is about faith. It's all about faith. It's all about a faith that actually produces something in our lives. And that's how we know. Is my faith real? Is it producing something? What does my faith look like? Well, what do the choices look like in my life? What are my decisions? What do my actions look like? Do I need to pray and ask God to give me a soft heart? The people said, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Joshua and Caleb said, don't be afraid. The Lord is with us. Then the people said, we want to stone you. We'd like to stone you. The author of Hebrews said they were not able to enter. Why? Because they didn't believe. It is really about faith. It goes back to faith alone in Christ alone. So my question to all of us is when we look at God, what don't we believe? When you look at God, what don't you believe? Is there something so big in front of you that you think, I, 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 I can't believe God. I can't believe he's going he's gonna to change this. My life isn't going to change. I, I, can't, I can't overcome this. They didn't believe God. And they wandered in the wilderness until they perished in the wilderness. It's still today for us. Today's not over. We have an opportunity to believe God and to believe in God. Maybe we're looking at God and we're saying, well, where we don't believe is we believe more in security than God. We believe more in relationships. We believe more in our culture. We want to be accepted. We want to be in the in crowd. We want to be popular. We don't want people to make fun of us or laugh at us. 
And it sounds like young people, but it's, it's any age. None of us want people to laugh at us or reject us or make fun of us. So is that the part where our unbelief is evident? So this morning, last slide, you can choose faith. You can choose a faith that is so real, it actually changes how you live out your life. You can say yes to Jesus and yes to God. And if you've already chosen faith, you can take more of that faith because the light is brighter and you see some areas of your life where you didn't think it was dirty, but now it's like people that get their cataracts removed. They realize they really do have to paint their kitchen, right, with their cataracts off. Or, or no, no, they realize they really don't have to paint their kitchen. It was the cataracts that was, but with, with a better sight and with brighter light, they realize it looks fine. It's a different view. You can choose faith. You can choose to believe God. Jesus is greater. Will you choose him? Will you choose God? Will you choose Jesus? Again, don't go back. Don't go back. Don't retreat. Don't retreat. That store is closed. <laughs> Whatever it is for you, relationships, security, fame, position, power, money, land, whatever it is, that's closed. You can't do business back there anymore. There's only one store open. It's Jesus 24-7. He's the only one that's open. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for having victory over death and proclaiming yourself as Lord. Thank you for being the king over all the earth. And thank you for being the king of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us through the influence and working and compassion and kindness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts you would help us to believe you so much that we do what you want us to do. Believe you so much that we're able to love and to serve, that we're able to sacrifice and to help, that we're able to encourage one another and not wait until the car of someone's life breaks down before we stop alongside the road to help them, but that we would help them as we find them going along the road of life with us that we would be an encouraging family of believers, knowing that all of us need to be encouraged to avoid the deceitfulness of sin. Lord, help us this week as we go from here to be faithful to you, to love you, and to love others. In Jesus' name, amen.